0: Getting grounded in these concepts, so essential, and those of you who have been grounded, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, And Lord, speak to our hearts tonight, bountifully, wonderfully, powerfully from your word. Glorify yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week, we got into chapter 7 a bit and we saw that when we became christians when we became born again believers that that old perfectionistic husband that drove us mad he died he died that law that was killing us it died so now we're free to marry another but now what would happen if you went into your new marriage or now married to Jesus, but every time you went to kiss your new husband, you saw your old husband's face? What if every time you went to write your name, you wrote your old husband's last name? What would happen if every time you went to tell him you loved him and you would call him by your, ex, or your your husband who died? That's the name you always kept using. And this went on and on week after week and month after month. It's never happened to me, but in a wedding I had a guy who actually was marrying somebody and, and uh, he actually, in the wedding, it was the gal's, husband who died he actually said her her husband who died's name will you so and so oh that's boy i tell you that will spoil any wedding and uh i've never done quite that uh, i have looked down at my notes and had my notes from a previous wedding and i had two separate people's names and and uh, realized right after i i got it wrong the first time to change it but uh this is why we need to understand in verse 4 here tonight. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. So it's not just that that old perfectionistic husband who is killing you, that law died. But now you in turn have to bury them and make sure they stay buried. Buried. And you also now need to have a death to become dead to them. In other words, cut it off. It's gone. It's history. I can't go back and try to make up for what I did wrong. I I can't try to go and, you know, take them to Disneyland next week. You know, don't try that. If they're dead, it it just will spoil your trip to Disneyland. I, I guarantee it. They're dead. And so there he says in verse 4, Through the body of Christ this can happen, that you may be carried to another, married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. If you are not a fruitful Christian here tonight, it's probably because you're living a legalistic relationship rather than a relationship of love with God. And he goes on in verse 5, For when we were in the flesh before we were born again we were trying to keep the law and live a moral righteous life in our own strength the passions of sin which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death now but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in what the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, you've got to realize that the law was given to man in his own self-strength to keep. So, the law was given. Here it is. You carry this burden, you keep the law. It was man's efforts, man's mind, man's trying to figure it out, man's. And that's why I, I am very much opposed to psychology. Because it's man wanting to help man. It's Now, because I'm a human being, I am a solely human being, and I know, therefore, what you are thinking. I know what you are feeling. I know what your sins and your struggles are. Now, as a man, I also have the desire to help you. And so, in my first reaction is, you tell me, man, I'm in debt, my first reaction is, do I have the money? I, I want to relieve you. I've been in debt. And boy, <laughs> I would, you know, just dreamed at night. Somebody writing me a check. Oh, thank you. You know, I'm waking up. Oh, well, okay. I-, I know that feeling. Can I help you? I can't. I don't have that kind of money. I can't do it. But now, if it was false, you see, I go ahead and say, let me help you. Let me write this check out. Now, when they go to cash it, they're going to find out in the long run uh, it's going to end up costing them more when they have to uh, get fined for having a bad check put in their account. In the same way, when man tries to come up with his reasonings to help man through his sinful struggles or the various manifestations that come from that, if you're in an adulterous fair tonight, you're, you're feeling guilty, you're very afraid, you're paranoid, you're not sleeping well, so, the psychologists say, well, quit feeling guilty. We've got to get you past this guilt. We need to get you some sleeping pills. And you're a paranoid schizophrenic because you're afraid all the time. The Bible says, repent. <laughs> repent of your sins. Now, are you immediately going to stop being afraid? No, you're probably not. Are you going to immediately get over that guilt? Probably not. Are you going to be able to sleep the first night after? Probably not there's consequences to sin and sometimes they linger on sometimes till the day we die but I realize that I as one human being can't help another human although I can understand you I could write volumes of books of what you're thinking and feeling and I can tell you exactly and you'll read that by going man, man, man he knows exactly what I'm going through yeah, that's exactly right but when you come to the conclusion now here's what you do it's always take Prozac (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's always the same thing. You know, stay in therapy the next twenty years and and try to get drugged up where you could fill in things. The conclusion is what's faulty, not uh, psychology. Being able to talk to a thousand different people who have been through plane wrecks and coming up with the type of things you are going to struggle with the next five years after that plane wreck, I, I have no problem. I think they're probably right on. But how to get over that? That's where we, we have a, a differing opinion. I believe that God's given us in the scriptures all we need for life and godliness. Well, how do I deal with those past hurts? You let behind the things that are behind and you press on forward. We're in these bodies but a vapor of time. We're going to be with the Lord completely healed. Let's just press on. Let's just move forward with the Lord. Now, the problem is is that if we now try to say that there is some good in the law and I can, in some degrees, keep the law, then I'm going to keep the law around. And the problem is, is that oldness of the letter, my strength, my power, my ability to try to keep up, it's going to fail. Even the young men stumble and fall. You see, by God's spirit, the law tutored us to see you cannot do it. And that's where we're always going to come back to. If we find disappointment in ourselves spiritually, it's because we've relied to some degree back on the law. We had convinced ourselves that now that I've been walking with the Lord for five years and I've not been struggling with those things, I did for the last two years, I think I am getting better be careful if you think you stand (laughs) you'll find out in a hurry that you didn't get any better it's just God's spirit has been powerful within you the glory in that needs to be done is not that I'm getting more mature in the Lord and better no just God has wrought a miracle over these last two years that's all I can say God's done a great work if I get my eyes on it off him I'll start falling back in the same old sins that I did before But the whole emphasis here is on the newness of what? The Spirit. Now, I cannot wait to get to next week. (laughs) To chapter 8. Interesting point. To this point, this is the fourth time the word Spirit has been used, referring to God's Holy Spirit, in the book of Romans. In chapter 8, The word spirit is used 21 times. So the first seven chapters, the Holy Spirit is mentioned four times. In chapter 8, it's mentioned 21 times. When we get to the part about your part, here's what you need to be doing now. How is what you're going to be doing going to be accomplished? Through the power of God's spirit. Turn over if you would, and we'll see some of these wonderful prophecies concerning you. And where you're at in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Jeremiah 31. Just remember my age twice. A few years ago, anyway. I'm on my sixth annual 31st birthday. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt by covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Do you see here? Paul's definitely referring back to this very passage. I'm not going to reestablish the law with them, but... This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will. When God says, I will, you want to underline that. Thank you, Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34 no more shall every man teach his neighbor every man his brother saying know the Lord for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more so in verse 34 it goes into the millennial reign where Jesus will rule and reign on the earth but up to verse 33 is definitely talking about the beginning of our born again experience you see if you find a couple who's getting ready to get married in a week. You don't have to pull the guy aside and say, now listen, you really need to love your fiance. Now, I know this is really tough, but when you see her, give her a hug. You don't have to tell him that. The 10 steps of being in love, here you are. He doesn't need it. It's in his heart, man. It's in his mind. I am in love. Those feelings are there. The mind is consumed with thoughts of this person. Everything else doesn't matter. Just being with them and the idea we're going to be married in two weeks and, you know, I don't have to drop her off anymore at 10 o'clock at night and go home. I'm going to be able to just stay there at home, stay there with her and I'll be with her all the time and, this is going to be awesome. The Lord's good. I'm going to be able to be with her. His heart and mind's consumed with that love. In the same way, when a person gets born again, God's Spirit is shed abroad in their heart, and there's a genuine love in their heart for the Lord. Now, as we're going to discover as we continue on through Romans, Satan is doing everything he can to quench out that love. He's putting all kinds of weeds around you to try to choke that love. But it's genuinely there, and just like in marriage, sometimes you have to blow on those embers and and, uh, and go back to that first love and remember the work she did at the beginning, and those feelings will come right back as the fire begins to burn again. It happens in our relationship with the Lord as well. But initially, there is a genuine, real love. I've seen a number of you, even in the last... Oh, three or four months, just excited. You know, you got saved and you jumped right into the Christian Foundation classes. Sunday morning, they're staying for a couple of services. They're back Sunday night. They're here Monday night for the pastor's college or, you know, four months in the Lord at the pastor's college. They're here Tuesday night with Wes. They're here Wednesday night with me and they're in our own Bible study. They just, you know, you can't slow them down. I don't, I don't have any intentions of doing so. That all God's people would have such zeal. But there's just that genuine love. I gotta know it all. I gotta know it all now. I want to know more and more and more about the Lord and the things of the Lord. Look over at Ezekiel chapter 36. You can hit the person next to you going, gee, I didn't know there was Ezekiel. There is it really? There's Ezekiel? Yeah, it's in the Bible. We're going to get there. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh soft, pliable heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Do you hear verse 27 again? I will. And then it carries all the way through. I'm going to put my spirit in them. I'm going to, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to keep the judgments and I will cause you to do them. And so, as we get to chapter 8, like I said, I can't wait to get there. But there's a very important foundational concept we need to understand tonight. God's Spirit is going to do it. It's by His power. We will learn to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to see this work done. More cooperation will work with Him, the faster that process goes. But ultimately, the promise is to every single believer... If you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you are going to be in His image. Period. Without sin, without spot, without wrinkle. He already sees it now in in your spirit. It's already a done deal. But now, your body one day, when He gives you that brand new body, you will be entirely, perfectedly sanctified unto God. And it's a done deal. We're going to get to chapter 8. As he says there, he predestined these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified, our heavenly status. He already sees it. I can't see it. As a matter of fact, it's such a dark world that I live in. I can't see that I'm ever going to get any better than I am right now. But if I look back five years, I can say, yeah there's been some growth. Some areas, I think I've gone reverse, but there's some areas that I I definitely have seen some growth. And so I can say, yeah, God's done that. God has done that in my life. Now, so we can now serve God and actually bear fruit. We can actually live in a newness of life. And again, in chapter 8, he's going to describe that newness of life. Now, in verse 7, back in Romans 7, verse 7, Romans 7, verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. So are we to be down on the law? Not at all. The law is wonderful. The law is precious. God has given that law to us, and it is absolutely magnificent. But you've got to realize what the law is for. Turn, if you would, over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Starting in verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. That's it. That's, that's our goal that's a goal of our instruction that's where we're heading is to be filled up with the height the width the depth the length to be filled with love and overflowing with love and we'll love God with all our heart mind soul and strength we'll love our neighbor as ourselves. we'll fulfill all the Old Testament law because we're so filled up overflowing with love Romans 5 the spirit of God comes within us shedding abroad his love within our hearts so now that love that's really where we're heading to let walk in the spirit is to walk in love then we see from a pure heart That's going to hinder love. That's going to hinder the spirit if we have an impure heart. And from a good conscience and from a sincere faith or without hypocrisy. So what's going to stop the love? What's going to stop the working of God's spirit and sanctifying you? Being a hypocrite. Having uh, thoughts that aren't pure, covetous, lustful thoughts or thoughts of bitterness or hatred. And a good conscience that we haven't gone against what the Lord's clearly shown us not to do. And in verse 6... From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. When people start walking in the flesh, they start saying the stupidest things, even as Christians. And so they're going to turn aside. they got to make their theology work out with their lifestyle instead of just their lifestyle working out with their theology. Let's change our theology to match with what I'm living because I don't want to change the way I'm living to match with what the Bible says uh, I'm supposed to live. So, Then they desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if... And it's a big giant if. One uses it lawfully or correctly or the principles, the way the principles were meant to be used. Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person. Notice this. Not made for the righteous person. You might put in the footnote right there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that what? We might become the righteousness of Christ. When you said, Jesus Christ, come into my life, at that moment, you became a righteous person, in spirit, maybe not in flesh, maybe not in lifestyle yet, but far as God, from his point of view, you are righteous. So, every believer here, everybody who said, Jesus Christ, be the Lord of my life, you are righteous, equal to Jesus in his righteousness. God has given that to you as a gift. So would the law be something that you could use? No, it's not. The law is good if one uses it rightfully, knowing it's used not for the righteous person. The law is dead to you. It's not going to have that help. But the lawless, insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, from the unholy, for the profane, For murderers of fathers and mothers. You see kids sometimes saying, I hate you mom, I hate you dad, I wish you were dead. What's Jesus say? When you have that hate in your heart, what have you done? You've killed. So, that rebellious person against his parents, who has a hatred towards his parents, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of blessed God which was committed to my trust. So, The law is good if you realize what's it for. It's to point out that you're a sinner. Paul goes on, back in Romans, talking about this very point. Romans chapter 7, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Now, you remember that story with the rich young ruler. Let's go back. You remember the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus said to her, Did you not read in the law? Did he say that to the woman caught in the act of adultery? No, he didn't. Every time he talked with the Pharisees, Jesus said that. Did you not read in the law? But when the woman's caught in the act of adultery, she already sees her sinful sinful condition. He just says, Go and sin no more. But remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, uh, good teacher. And Jesus stopped him and said, what did you say? Good teacher? There's none good but God alone. Now he wasn't saying he wasn't good. He wasn't saying he wasn't God. The point he was making is that this rich young ruler had serious definition problems. Because he was a good person talking to a good teacher. He was talking to a good teacher, but he wasn't a good person. And when he said, "Well, I'm lacking something, what do you think it might be?" Jesus said, "Just whatever the law says. Just go and keep the law." That's what Jesus said. And the guy says, "Well, we can we can continue our conversation because I've always kept the law. Since my youth, I've always kept the law. There's something else." You see, he did not see the law. He did not see his sinful condition. Because he was interpreting the law simply in the literal fashion, as the Pharisees had always taught them. Don't commit adultery. I've never done that. I've been never fornicated. Married a young gal. We've never committed adultery. I'm innocent. But Jesus came back and said, No, 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 no. The law is not literal. It's spiritual. But God doesn't look on the outward man. God looks on the heart. In the heart, what's happened? You take the temperature of a heart of somebody who's actually gone through the act of committing adultery and take the temperature of a heart of a man who just lusted what do you see it's the same exact temperature they both got the boiling and so god wrote it down in his book as indeed you did commit adultery and when that person were to stand before god he'd say well you've committed adultery a few hundred thousand times oh no 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 no, one time well let's let's go back let's go back and look and every time you lust in your heart he counted that as adultery And so, Jesus, again, being the gracious, loving God, doesn't get in our face. He simply says to the rich young ruler, I think he was thinking in his mind, okay, law one, have no other gods before you. Let's try law one. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me. He went away sad. He couldn't even get past law number one. (laughs) Now, he didn't get in his face and say, lawbreaker, you covetous idolater. That's what the law was supposed to do, though. That's exactly what he was. He loved his money. He couldn't love God. What was he lacking? Why was there no passion for God? You can't love God and money. You hate the one, cling to the other, despise the one. You can't, you can't love them both. Impossible. And so Jesus, very graciously, what did he do? He used the law. You'll see it all the way through the Bible consistently. Paul did the same thing. Jesus did the same thing. When men came in their own righteousness, their own self-righteousness, he used the law to bring them to condemnation. Why? So they would need a Savior. Now, Paul goes on and he makes note here that it was the law, like the rich young ruler, that showed me I was a covet person. Therefore, I need a Savior. But sin, okay, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died, and the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. What is Paul saying here? That you truly are a sinner. Okay, you—the law didn't make you a sinner. You were already a sinner. But the sin, you wouldn't be visible without the law. That's how sinful we are. (laughs) We're so sinful we think we're good, even when we're sinning. I was out at Donovan for four years. I scarcely found a guilty man out there. I went out ministering there. I should say I was out at Donovan for. I was out ministering at Donovan for four years. In other words, I got to come and go. It was it was hard to find a, a guilty person out there. They could do hideous things. They, they molested their own daughter. You know what? It was my wife's fault. She didn't give me sex when I wanted sex, and and you know I never would have been tempted. I never. And you listen to these guy's stories. He's been able to sit in prison year after year after year, rehashing the story in their mind, perfecting it, perfecting it, perfecting it. You listen to him for ten minutes and you're convinced this guy's innocent. That's what we do. We have that self mechanism, protection mechanism in us, and we always justify. We always see ourselves. That's why Romans two says we don't give that same protection mechanism to others. We'll pound them. You sinner, man, blah 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 And then God comes back and says, You did the same thing. Oh no. <laughs> I didn't see it. How did I not see that? I could see it so clearly in them. Why couldn't I see it in me? Well, you did when you got angry about it. When you got upset about it, that meant that that same sin was in you. Now, the thing about the law is it actually does speed up the process of our sinful condition. Because I may be just a sort of regular old covetous person, but I don't see myself as covetous at all. But now all of a sudden you tell me not to do it. Oh, now I really want to do it. When the kids, when the kids were small and I, I didn't want to fight with them over taking something away, I would just pick up a stick or something saying, Whoa, man, look what I found. Woo. Look at this. Man, what's well, the best thing. And all of a sudden they'll come over going, "I want it, I want it," you know, or a rock or whatever. Well, oh, I don't know. You know, let's swap. Okay, all right. No, oh, they made out. They got this stick, and that's just us. That's our nature. If I said there was a hundred drawers up here, and I said you can look in all ninety-nine, of them. don't look in one of them. All you want to look is in that one. That's our nature. That's, that's that covetous, sinful nature. So the law does hurt us. The law causes us to want to act out that sinful nature. That's why it's so important as Christians we don't go back to the law. Because it actually will stir up sin within us, even as Christians. It won't help us. At first it may seem it helps us, but it's really just you. You make the law. This is what I'm going to do. And sure enough, you do it for a time (laughs) man made in the image of God can discipline himself in certain areas for a period of time if he solely makes that his God that's it I'm tired of being overweight I'm going to start working out man and that's it they do it they make that their God to get in shape and boy they're disciplined for a year or two and then they meet a girl down there and all of a sudden uh, they have to let go of that God to get another God, <laughs> they got to let go of a little bit of the passion over here to put passion somewhere else. And when they do, all of a sudden, their discipline goes right out the door. Man, ever since I met you, I've gone to pot. No, it's just you, that was your passion. That was your that was your God. You you make that your God. You can you can be disciplined in that God. It's all self-human discipline. God's not has nothing to do with it. Just. Disciplining himself for those things. But the reality is, is that if I went to that same person and I said, you're a cop. Now, as a cop, you've got to stay in shape. No more donuts. That's tough. It's tough for a cop. And you've got to work out. And you've got to stay under this body weight. Now, all of a sudden, for the cop to go work out is, man, I can't believe that chief of mine making me work out like this after such a long day of work. And no donuts, how am I going to get through the day without donuts, you know? And, and he said, I've got to stay under this body weight, you know? And man, and, and all of a sudden now, he's desired to eat more than he's normally desired to eat. He's never desired not to work out like he's never. He's never because why? It's, that's the law. The law makes you want to do opposite of what the law says to do. Why? Because the law is bad? No. The law is good. It's because we are sinful. So will the law help you? No. It'll only make the process, or make that sin even more exceedingly sinful. It'll only make it all the more. Make you want to do it all the more. And again, if we're going to come back in Romans chapter 8, it's that love relationship with Christ. Turn over, if you would, to Galatians. There in chapter 2, and we'll do a quick little overview, because this is what the whole book of Galatians is about. The whole book of Galatians is about Gentile Christians coming to Christ, and Jewish Christians. But the main thing is, is that They had to let go of the law in order to come hold, grab a hold of Christ. That's a very scary feeling. Because there was nobody telling them, do this and don't do this. What do I do? Do what's in your heart. Don't you love the Lord? Yeah, I do. Then just love him. What do you do when you love somebody? Don't you want to know him more? Well, Get to know him more. How am I going to do that? The word, prayer, just fellowshipping with other believers and talking about him. Okay, man, it's just, that's already in my heart. You don't have to tell me. I've been doing that. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. You don't, you don't need to be told what to do. But how am I going to know what not to do? Well, as you learn about Him, you're going to want to love Him, so you're not going to want to do the things that, that grieve Him. If I'm in there watching my wife mop the floor and I have muddy shoes on, I don't go walking through the kitchen to get a glass of water with muddy shoes. I know it'll bum her out. In the same way, if I see that God is loving me and trying to make me pure I, I don't want to dirty it up it's just the natural thing the heart tr- that truly is born again responds in that way automatically I don't need to be told that although God does tell us that because of our sinful condition we don't always we do need that guidance and that's again part of the sanctification we'll talk about but in verse 19 of chapter 2 for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 For I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Chapter 3. O foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who seduced you with feelings over fact? The word foolish is you didn't stop to calculate it up. You who didn't add things up properly. Now you're being tricked with emotions over the fact. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles on you, does he not do it by the works of, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And then those who are of faith are blessed. Why? By believing it with Abraham. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But... That no one is justified by the law on the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. Hear this? The law is not of faith. The man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Listen to this now that we might receive the promise of what? The Spirit through faith. Skip down to verse 22. But the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutorer, to bring us to Christ. So it was to show us that we needed a Savior because we were a sinner and we couldn't do anything about our sinful condition. We needed somebody to do it for us. And Christ did that, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith, listen to verse 25, after faith has come, what? We are no longer under a tutor. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say then that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from the slave... Though he is master of all, but under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, religious rules, the law. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit. Of his son into your hearts, now you cry out, Abba, Father. Do you have to teach a child to say, Daddy, Daddy? Do you need to teach a child that? No, it's in their heart. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Skip on over to verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons. One by the bondwoman and the other by the free woman. But he who has the bondwoman was a born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants. For the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, that's the mountain where Moses gave the law, which is Hagar. And this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, referring to the legalistic capital of the world at the time where the Jews were, and is in bondage with their children. The Jews were under bondage, even though the Messiah had come. In verse 26, But the Jerusalem above, in heaven, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who do not travail. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Interpretation. Rejoice, you who are struggling with sin and are born again. Rejoice, because you are going to be righteous, just as Jesus Christ is righteous. Although your sins may be great and overwhelming to you right now because your flesh is so weak, I'll never be able to produce fruitfulness. No, that's not true. Rejoice now. You're going to have much more fruit than the legalistic person is ever going to have. And in verse 28, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, as children of promise, but as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. James says you break one part of the law, you've broken it all. One hole in the lifeboat, the whole lifeboat sinks. You have become estranged from Christ. You attempt attempted justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Wow. It's by grace that we're saved. For we, through the Spirit, listen to this, underline that, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Notice here, the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. If you are going to judge your righteousness, it's got to be perfect. Anything less than perfection is a failure. So whatever standard you have, it's coming short of the standard that God has. God says you have to be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect. Can you attain to that? In your wildest dreams, if you were to plan for five years to live one perfect day, could you do it? I guarantee you, you can't thoughts are going to come into your mind. Why? Because you are still in sinful flesh. Listen to me. Very important. When you got born again, your body didn't get born again. Your mind didn't get born again. Your hands didn't get born again. Your feet didn't get born again. Your mouth didn't get born again. The you are the only one that got born again. Your spirit that will live forever is all that got born again. This old body is the same old body. You get born again, look down at the tattoo. It's still there. At 3 o'clock, when the whistle blows, everybody's off work going down to the pub, you also salivate like Maslow's dog. You, you know, you hear, you've heard the whistle blow for the last 10 years, and that's the trigger off work and go get a beer. And all of a sudden, you can taste it in your mouth. Your body didn't get saved. It's so important that you understand that. We have, to, at this point, have faith in God. Read it. First Samuel chapter 12. King David horribly committed adultery, murdered the man. She committed. He committed adultery. The, the woman, the husband of the... Whatever. Uriah. Killed Uriah. Put him to death. Nathan shows up, reveals his sin. David says, that's me. I've done it. There's going to be heavy consequences. The sword will never leave your house. You hit, you secretly slept with this woman. I'm going to have everyone of your wives slept with openly. Bad times. Bad times coming. But you sinned. David said, I've sinned. He said, you're also forgiven. The baby's also going to die. That's also part of the consequence. That same chapter, the baby now is born and is dying. David's weeping, crying out, praying. He won't fast. He just lays on that cold limestone floor. The servants try to get him up. He's going to catch him on you. He won't do it. Day after day goes by. Finally, he sees the servants whispering. He says, did the baby die? Yes. He gets up, washes himself, says, let's eat. They're going, we don't understand. Now's when he should be mourning. He goes, no. When the baby was still alive, there's a chance that God might have mercy and grace upon me and, you know, take away some of the consequence. But he didn't. But, what does David say? He shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. Wow. A murderer. An adulteress. But what confidence he has. He didn't say, well, maybe one day God will sort of maybe hopefully let me go to heaven with him. No. He was absolutely confident. Surely his goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the tendency we want to have is to be afraid but I'm a born-again Christian. Why am I having these desires? Why am I struggling with these things? The tendency is to be afraid and to say, I need to see some result immediately. Have you ever noticed that God rarely answers prayer immediately? (laughs) Have you noticed that this Christian thing is like what the Bible says, waiting on the Lord? (laughs) Wait on the Lord, I say. Be of good courage. Strengthen your heart. I say, wait on the Lord. Have you noticed that? It's faith, that's why. God, what pleases God is our faith. That's what brings joy and rejoicing to God. It's just trusting in Him, waiting on Him, believing in Him, and not to deviate from that. So, one of the hardest places to believe God is even though I'm struggling and and messing up all over the place that He still loves me and He's still going to take me to heaven with Him, even though I'm feeling so miserably this week, this last month, this last three years. Yes, God still loves you. Yes, God still has taken you to heaven. Why? Because He did not save you according to your righteousness. He saved you according to the righteousness of Christ. Now, are there consequences to our sin as a Christian? Very, very, very much so. And that's why we don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise. and and redeem the time and live a holy and a righteous life but it's never going to happen because you figured out the five steps or the ten principles or the nine men of history that had it figured out and you're going to follow in their footsteps it's not Calvinism or Arminianism it's not Pentecostalism or the baptism it's not it's just Jesus it's just hanging on to him trusting in him waiting on him And letting him do it. So what do we do? When I see that lack of desire and I'm not in the word. What's in your heart to do? Papa, Father, Daddy, Daddy. That's right, do it. That's what we have. We are a child of God. We are adopted in his family. The spirit of God now cries in and within us. Daddy, Daddy. I've got these thoughts that are overwhelming me. Daddy, Daddy. I've got these weaknesses that I'm wanting to fall back into. Daddy, Daddy. It's enough. Call out to him now, as we're going to see in Romans. We know about this stuff here, don't we? Okay, just like the electrician knows about the electric current, <laughs> he's learned. Just like the carpenter knows about the how much force is really behind the head of that at the end the head of that uh, hammer. He knows he's hit his finger on it. We also know as he's going to get later to Romans chapter thirteen. Don't make make any opportunities for the flesh. Why? Because it will fulfill the lust thereof. I'm a big stick of dynamite in the world's fire, and if I go walking out in the world, guess what? <laughs> it's just chemistry, man. I mean, it's it's not that I'm evil. It's not that I'm a sinner, extra sinful sinner. It's not that I'm you know was raised extra bad. And, and because of that, my way I was raised, it's just, it's chemistry. This stuff likes that stuff. This mind likes that stuff. They're one and the same. My sinful mind likes that sinful world. My sinful flesh likes to be a part of other people's sinful flesh. And likes to be a part of the sinfulness of the world. Ephesians, quick, chapter 2. Turn to the right, just a few pages. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Among whom also we all, how many? Everybody. Once conducted ourself in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by what? Nature, children of wrath, just as others. Folks, that's our nature. That's just the bottom line. And the Bible says in Galatians that if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of that nature. But that nature you are still in. You would rather be angry than kind. You would rather be impatient than patient. You would rather have your own stuff than to share with somebody else. You would just like one day nobody else is on the freeway. Just me by myself. Six lanes to myself and an hour to go and not to have to see one other car. That's that's our flesh. And we know our flesh. And so, we need to learn to win over the flesh. That is sanctification by the power of the Spirit of the working of God. And so, real quickly, back in chapter 7, verse 13. Has then that which is good become death to me? Certainly not. It's not the law that killed me. It's my sin that's killing me. But it's sin, that it might be pure sin, which producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. There's no doubt about it. I am a covetous person the Bible says if you say you have no sin you're a liar and the truth isn't in you are you willing to say you're a sinner if you can say to, if you can say to me tonight Brian I am a sinner you know there's no way you can say that except by the power of the Holy Spirit that is a clear evidence that God's spirit is at work either to save you or He already has saved you. You go up to somebody in the world and say, do you know you're an adulterous, covetous, liar, disobedient to your parents? You better duck. I am not. You see? They don't see it. Why? Because they're so sinful they can't see it. Our hearts are so desperately, deceitfully, wicked. Who can know it? We deceive ourselves. So Paul says, the law helped me to see it. In verse 14, for we know the law is spiritual. That's it. The law is spiritual. Jesus taught us that. But I am carnal. Sold under sin. Folks, there's nothing good that dwells in us. We are sold. It's, it's, we're, there's, it's history. We're never going to redeem this flesh. It's not going to get saved. It's going to go back to the dust from which it came. It's not going to be in heaven with us. Thank you, Lord. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I am not practicing. But what I hate. Notice that word, hate. I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now, in other words, I need the law then. If I need the law to monitor my sinfulness, no, I don't need the law to monitor my sinfulness. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Listen to this. It's not the me that's going to live for eternity, my spirit, but it's my sin that's dwelling in me, my body. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, the me on this earth that you see, nothing good dwells, but to will is present within me. Oh, that is how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. He says the same thing again. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice notice the evil now verse 20 says the same as verse 17 now if I do what I will not to do I know it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me I find then a law that evil notice that wickedness evil things I hate is present with me the one who wills to do good for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man but I see another law in my members my hands my feet my brain my eyes Warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law, the principle. Now, you've got to be careful on the word law now. It's, It's the same word, but it's the word principle. Best translated, the principle of sin. He's not referring back to the Old Testament law. But the principle of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the the law of sin. That there what he says I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57 he says the same phrase referring to the resurrection. I thank God for the resurrection that's going to come and I get my brand new body. He's going to go on to say that in chapter 8 through Christ Jesus our Lord. The term wretched man or excuse me the term body of death was this Syrians where if you murdered a person, they'd take that dead body and strap it to the murderer's body and let the corrosion of that murderer's body corrode the, mur- the murdered man's body, corrode the murderer? Isn't that way, you feel as a Christian? So, what's the answer? Five steps? Ten steps? The three ways? No. The answer is this to realize up front, folks. You are in a body of death. You are in a body of sin. Can we overcome this body? Yes, we can. But how does Satan want to take advantage of you? By weirding you out, tripping you out. When your body is screaming with lust, what's wrong with me? No. We're not stupid. We're not ignorant. We know what it is it's sin. My sin is screaming. My sinful body is saying, I'm tired of the Spirit ruling my life. I'm tired of you making me pray. I'm tired of you making me go to church. I'm tired of making you make me get up early to pray and go for a walk and and see. I'm tired of it and I'm not going to have you do this anymore. And so... He fills us up with lust. He fills us up with covetousness or bitterness or anger. He's just, the body is trying to gain control. It's like the virus in a computer. It's trying to find a way, to circus, to take the whole thing over. We know what's going on. We're not ignorant. Now, we are going to learn that just because our body may scream louder than anything we've ever heard, it may scream for days, it may scream, and, and Satan makes all kinds of opportunities for us to relieve the screaming of our flesh we do not have to give into it and by not giving into it it's life and a crown James says by giving into it we're going to end up back in bondage even as Christians so any of you struggle with sin this week ok that's because we're sinners we're not going to go back and lay a foundation of salvation and of baptism and of we're not going to go back and lay that foundation It's already late, okay? What do we need to deal with now? We need to deal with how can we, even though we're in a sinful body, live a life after the Spirit? Well, we're going to get to chapter 8, verse 12, with the giant therefore. And we're going to learn next week. Lord, thank you for your word. And cause within us, Lord, just that understanding that Your Spirit has already written it upon our hearts and that You, by the power of Your Spirit, is going to cause us to live in the newness of life, bearing fruit unto You. And 100% of the glory is You. Apart from You, we can do nothing. Only as we abide in You can we bear fruit. And You also said, Lord, that... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in your word, Lord. So we know that we can do all things. No matter what this old stupid body may try to freak us out or tell us to do or bum us out saying we're a sinner or whatever. We just trust in your word. We walk by faith, not by sight. Just like Abraham who tried to do it in his flesh and ended up with an Ishmael. Lord, we're not going to try to do it in our flesh and end up back in legalism. We know it's going to be supernatural. Just like Sarah giving birth to Isaac. It's a supernatural thing. She waited and waited and waited. Abraham waited and waited and waited. And you finally did it at that appointed time. So with us, Lord, the weaknesses of our flesh seem to drag us down day after day, week after week. Some of us for years now, areas of our flesh, have just gotten the better of us at times. We're waiting. We may be... 99 years old like Abraham, but supernaturally by your spirit, you will cause us to have that true fruit by your spirit to be accomplished. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.